Well, I am so excited about my guest today. Amanda Fisher is a dear, dear friend of mine. And it's it's interesting when you meet people, and I know that that everybody feels this way about somebody in their life, but you meet somebody and there's an instant connection, and then you talk a little bit and you're like, have we been friends? forever? Or did we just meet? It was so natural right off the bat from the moment that Amanda and I connected. We connected about makeup. Of course, we are two girls. We connected over makeup. And then as we got to know each other, we realized how many similarities and how many things we have in common. What I did not know when I met Amanda and and when we first connected, what I did was not aware of was her story and her background. And I we we met on Instagram. And so when I had seen some of her videos before, she had alluded to her childhood and, you know, said said different things and she's literally the most beautiful human being you will ever see. She's gorgeous, stunningly beautiful on the outside. I did not know she would be that stunningly beautiful on the inside uh, because we all make assumptions, right? And so I just thought, oh, she's just, an, she's another beauty. And I, it's, it's fascinating to me uh, what, what we do and how we convince ourselves of that. When I heard her story, I became even more enamored with her because of what she's been through and who she has become through her circumstances and what she has done in spite of her circumstances. It is truly inspirational. And so I am so excited for you to hear her story today, for you to meet her and uh, for for you to take away just the, the most encouragement from today. So Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Oh my goodness, Rachel. Thank you. It is such an honor. And I am so excited to be on here and to just help bring encouragement and belief into others. And and I thank you because uh, you've definitely been that person for me more than one time. And I love you so much for that. Well, I love you. And uh, I want you to share your story. Um, One time I I saw a video that you did. It was just a a makeup video and you made a comment in the video. You said, I grew up without a mom. And so I never knew how to do makeup. And I just want to warn you that I'm going to be crying and that I have a Kleenex ready uh, in my my hand uh, because I know that I'm going to get choked up here. But um, you said, I grew up without a mom and I did not know how to do these things. I I, I didn't, you know, and in my mind, I thought, oh, that's, that's crazy. Like who grows up without a mom? Like, I wonder where, I wonder who, I mean, I know a lot of people do, but like, I wonder where that's interesting. Never didn't really think much of it. I thought maybe her mom left, whatever. So I want you to kind of dive in and talk talk about your childhood and and your your mom and your your situation. Yeah. So I am the youngest of four children. I have three older brothers. Uh, I am thirty six, and so my brothers are 46, uh, 54 and 57. So there's quite an age gap. I was a 25th anniversary baby. I always like to say that. And, um, it's kind of funny when my dad showed up at the hospital because he was an over the road truck driver. So he was not at the hospital when I was born, but when he showed up, uh, the nurses said, Oh, grandpa's here. 
And I always remember that like, oh, or I don't remember that, but I remember that story thinking how humbling. (laughs) Could you imagine? So I was the youngest of uh, four children, all brothers. And so that was definitely not in my favor uh, for learning from older sisters. Like, like you were so blessed to have three sisters. That's amazing. Um, So I uh, grew up my, my, like I said, just a little bit ago, my dad was an over the road truck driver and uh, he worked as a um, x-ray tech going from hospital to hospital with the MRI units that he would go around with. So he was home like on the weekends. So my mom and I were really, really, really close growing up. And by the time I was, that I could remember, my brothers weren't really in the house anymore because they were so much older than me. And um, so we, I grew up, in the church, my mom played piano. She, she, I felt like when I was younger of what I can remember, we lived in the church. <laughs> we had an amazing church community. I grew up in a very, very, very small town in central Minnesota, uh, literally small enough that we had no stoplights. It was 169 people. So community was a huge, huge, huge thing. And, uh, growing up and everybody knew everybody. And so, um, in the summer of 1995, my two oldest brothers got married. Uh, my parents celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary. My grandparents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And um, there was one huge other monument, but I can't remember. So all of that being said, oh, my brother graduated from medical school. So five humongous things going on that summer. And um, Finally, end of July, we all had the chance to go to the lake and just relax because everything was over and my mom was able to breathe. Um, almost everything except one of my brother's weddings was at our house. And so it was just a huge stress stressor for her that summer. Uh, my mom always um, dealt with high blood pressure and high cholesterol, but controlled it very well by diet and exercise. Uh, um, but unfortunately, back in 1995... The things that we know now are not the the diet regulations and everything that they followed back then. Um, We were at the lake water skiing on July 30th and the morning of July 31st, she woke up and my dad was home and she had been having some like back pains or just like, just cold muscle is what she thought. So it wasn't going away and it wasn't going away. And finally, I, I was so sunburned. I re- like I remember actually sleeping on their floor that night because I was so sunburned. And how old um, were you going to bed? Pardon me. How old were you? I was nine. Nine. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, I was nine years old. Um. So that was 1995. And so she, they, my dad woke up. It was like 4 a.m. They brought her to the hospital in a little little central Minnesota town that was very very remote. Uh, we're lucky enough to have had a hospital there. Um, but they were, what she was experiencing was, um, acute. So small episodes of like a heart attack. And so they were like, well, we want to send you off to somewhere that can help you eat more, you know, more efficiently. And so she told my, my dad, my dad's name is Roland. She said, Roland, go home and pack a brown bag so that we can go shopping because they were going to a bigger city so that we can go shopping after I get out of the hospital. And my mom never came home that day. Um, and when I tell you that my mom was very physically fit, she got up. These are things that I remember as a child. She got up every morning and like rode her bike in the living room. Um, 
as I would, you know, sit there and eat my bowl of cereal or my dad, we had 40 acres growing up. He paid, like he uh, mowed her a trail around our acreage to go hiking through every day. Uh, she just took very good care of her body. Uh, but that always, you know, that always isn't the case of, of what I always say that we can't rewrite God's story. You know, sometimes we wish we could, but we can't. And, um, my dad lost his high school sweetheart that day. They, they were married at a very young age and, and um, built a beautiful home and all of it was swept away from him. And he was an over-the-road truck driver. And so he had to like reinvent the wheel of absolutely everything that he knew and uh, the way that he, he um, provided for our family was to be away during the week. And then she would come, you know, he would come home on the weekends and that's where community comes in and the community that our church and our family stepped up to help out. And, um, I've told Rachel this in the past, but during my childhood, I don't remember ever, like, obviously I remember missing my mom, but I think the thing that hurt worse is seeing my dad in so much pain and not being able to comfort him. And just kind of sensing that he was so lost for help. My dad never remarried. Um, my head, my mother had two uh, sisters that lived very close by, and um, they would help out. My my mom's uh, middle sister, her name is Jerry. She helped out a lot and took care of me um, as much as she could. Unfortunately, she had it. Um, an alcohol addiction, which praise the Lord, she's been clean for about 10 years now. But there was a lot of times that when I was with her, it was a lot of instability, never uh, harm or anything like that. It's just the guidance that I needed as a young child probably wasn't there as much as it could have been. Um, her, her daughter, her one and only daughter was Oh, I think she's 18 years older than me. And she actually still lived at home when I stayed there. And like, she was a godsend. Jill, I know she'll listen to this because she's still such an impactful part of my life. And she truly helped out so much. She doesn't have any clue of how much she impacted my life and the way that I see things and, and the hard work that she impacted in me. Um, all of those things to say that there were little, I don't want to say little things, things in my life that showed up when I needed them to make an impact on my future. Um, lessons that I learned growing up and all of that. Um, so when I, I always try to teach people this, that they have no clue the impact that they can make on somebody when they think that the action that they're doing is so small. Um, impact, you know, telling somebody how important it is to practice a band instrument at a young age, how impactful that is later on in life. Or, um, I had a high school, um, I still to this day want to thank her, a uh, high school coach that I remember on my 17th birthday that my dad was going to be gone. And at this point, um, fast forward to my, my junior year of high school, I was staying home a lot more. Uh, all by myself that, you know, my dad would leave on Mondays, come back home Thursdays or Fridays. And I was home. Um, I had a job. 
I think of myself, like all the, the destruction that I could have done, but I think I just had a lot of respect for my dad. And, and I was always a kind of a people pleaser. I still am to this day. It's something that I definitely struggle with, excuse me, struggle with, but, um, she, so this high school coach on my 17th birthday, I knew that my, my dad was trying so hard to get home, but he wasn't going to make it home that day. I remember I just had got my first Nokia cell phone. <laughs> you remember those? Yeah. Like the little, you played snake and everything. Yeah. And I remember my dad calling and saying that he wasn't going to be home until 10 30 that night, but my aunt was going to bring over a birthday cake later, but she wasn't able to stay because she had like the commitments. Um, and so I, I was at softball practice that night and I remembered like kind of hanging around and just losing it. And all my friends had left and my high school softball coach stopped and she, she just like, what's going on Amanda? She knew that it was my birthday. She's like, you're not supposed to be crying on your birthday. And she said, um, I said, well, I have to go home and no one's there. And it's just really, really hard. And, and, um, she had offered to bring me to out for pizza that night. And the little things that people did, the community, it's still to this day, like holds up my heartstrings to think of the impact that a community has on, on, um, a family growing up. And so, um, fast forward to, let's see, there are, you know, I, I went to college. This isn't, this is a really, really hard part of my story that I have honestly not publicly told and Rachel and I talked a little bit about it and I prayed a lot about it. Um, but I do, I do believe that it is a part of my story that can, it's a messy, messy part that I, I have a lot of shame around. Um, but it's a part that I can definitely help somebody out, out there. Let your mess be your message is something that I, that I firmly stand behind. And I know that other people's messinesses have helped me in my life. So, uh, when I was a senior in high school, I got in a very serious relationship with a um, uh, local boy who was old. He was about a year and a half older than me. I already had graduated from high school. And so we had just started dating uh, right before um, prom my senior year. And so he refused because he was older. And this should have been my first red flag. He refused to go to prom with me uh, because he was too cool for that. And so I missed my senior prom in spite of my boyfriend at the time that I was utterly in love with and wanted to, you know, do everything to make as happy as I possibly could. Um, and we went, I went off to college and he went off to, or he was in college and, um, eventually the following year he moved and quit college and, um, got a full-time job where I was living. We moved in together and things were very serious, um, but we were both very broken people. And at that point, I had kind of fallen away from, in college, I don't even remember going to church or attending church or, or even it being a big, meaningful part of my life. And I know that this is, this is an area that probably a lot of college students go through. Um, but we ended up getting married when we were 21. Um, it was a kind of like, we were both just trying to play house pushed kind of into a corner of, I, I think about this now because it was 15 years ago. What did I really want? What did he really want? 
I think that I, I solely wanted that feeling of stability. Um, but I was too young. Uh, if anyone out there, I, I always say that you have to be, if you were thinking of getting married under the age of 25, really, really reassess yourself because there's so much life to live and you can, you change so much between the ages of 21 and 25 and then 25 and 35. But the amount of change that you go through and the growth that you go through between the ages of 21 and 25 is, you can't even comprehend it when you're 21 years old. And, um, and I know that that men and women kind of go through it at different stages, but we weren't meant to be, we weren't each other's people. I can't imagine my life. And and it's kind of crazy because now I look in hindsight and I, and I just someday I can't wait to ask God why, (laughs) but I look in hindsight and although he thrived in the family he was in, it wasn't a family that I, that I could have thrived in forever without my parents. Unfortunately, there was a lot of brokenness. Um, There was a lot of just negativity and deceit and all of that. Um, And so I I thank God every day for the lessons that I was taught through all of that. Um, And then uh, just a short time later, my now husband of almost 12 years, um, we ended up, so my, my son now is almost 12 years old and he was just my little miracle baby. I don't want to say that. He, so when, when I got pregnant with him, I had only been dating my now husband for five months and all odds were against us because we had hardly been dating for any time. We ended up getting pregnant but you guys, when I tell you how this all like unfolds, growing up after my mom passed away, my dad and I were so incredibly close. Like we were, I mean, I have so many areas in my diary growing up that I wrote, like, he's my pee to, he's the pee to my pod. And just, we, we were so close. He was my person. Um, but when I turned 24, I got a call. So I'll back up a little bit. He he retired uh, February, the year that I had turned 24. Just had gone through kind of a divorce, breakup, all of that. Um, was with my now husband. We ended up getting pregnant after five months. Like, sounds like a horrible, horrible mess. And um, then I got a call that... So I'm, I'm sorry, I missed a little part. My dad retired in February. Um, June of that same year, June of 2017, a huge tornado went through our, my hometown. And um, my dad being the amazing, amazing person he was, we didn't have any damage, but there was a lot of damage that our neighbors had. And so he uh, was just a good Samaritan and, and helped everybody clean up from the tornado. And so he did a lot of heavy lifting and all of that. He started having some back pains, thinking that it was from uh, damage that was caused from help, from helping out from the tornado. And, uh, <laughs> he is not the chiropractor type, nothing against chiropractor, but my dad was a hardy, like tractor driving, um, cigar smoking, like hardworking man. He was not the one to go to a, a, um, chiropractor, but I don't even know why he did. He went to a chiropractor. He told me he went to a chiropractor and then he went to physical therapy 
and nothing was helping his back. So my brother, who's, who's a physician, uh, told him to maybe get some, like he worked in the x-ray field for many, many years. Why don't you get some MRIs done and see what's going on? And this was in August. And I remember in August 24th, I got a phone call. It was waitressing at a local restaurant. And I was also a hairstylist. So I was working behind the chair and then uh, needed more money. So I was uh, waitressing as a lo- at a local restaurant and got a call from him knowing that he had had a doctor's appointment that day. And um, he just said, Amanda, I have cancer. And that was like all that he said. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, well, I've heard, you know, I tried to start painting pictures of the good and the bad and the ugly in my head. And uh, that evening I literally packed up my life, went to my dad because I knew that I was the only person, granted, like my brothers were there, but I feel like being a woman, you're like, you have that sense of comfort, yeah. you know? My brothers are, are, are my dad's sons, <laughs> needless to say. Yeah. And so I moved home and um, by September 10th, my dad was bed bound. He was like, he could not get out of bed. He was in so much pain. He ended up getting diagnosed with bladder cancer. But typically, if you know anything about bladder cancer, it's very, very treatable. Typically, it's very treatable. They think that my dad probably had this bladder cancer for four years or so. Wow. At this point, it had spread all the way up his entire spine into his pelvic bones, um, starting to spread down his the bones in his legs. So the pain that he was in, if you can think about, he was in tremendous amounts of pain. So when he moved, or when I moved home to take care of him, he declined very quickly. Uh, I was seven months pregnant, eight months pregnant, no, six and a half, seven months pregnant at the time. And, um, I had no income coming in and all these things and it's just scary. But when I think back of the time that I had with my dad at that point, it was the best time that we had to bond and connect and just oddly enough, when I was younger in high school, I worked as a nursing assistant in a nursing home, the same nursing home. My mom grew, I worked in while I was younger. She was a activity aide there. Um, so I knew all the things of how to take care of my dad. I knew exactly, you know, I knew everything. And that's when I moved home and I took care of him. And, um, I remember having to bring a urine sample in one day and hopefully this doesn't (laughs) trigger anyone, but it was like bright red. And I thought, dad, I, I asked him, I said, how long has your urine looked like this? And he said, as long as I can remember. So because my mom had passed, he didn't have anyone to talk to or to tell these things to. And his 23, 24-year-old daughter was the last person he was going to go to. And so he, um, he declined very, very, very quickly. He passed away December 5th. And my son was born December 9th. All I have to say is but God. The Lord knew that I would not be able to move on from losing my father unless I'm a slow believer that there is a reason that. And to this day, I was actually talking to my son in last night. And there's always like these little glimmers of when you look at somebody and you're just like so thankful. I was talking to him in last night. And he had kind of a bruise on his arm. And I, you know, like as a mom, the first thing you think of is a 
bruise on your child. Like you, he goes, I don't know how I got it, but it was a big bruise. And then as I was leaving his room after we prayed, I just thought, Oh my gosh, he is like my miracle baby. And then, you know, as a mother, you start thinking of like, why does he have this bruise? And you know, as I'm sure it was just, he's a almost 12 year old boy. I'm sure he hit himself, but it was just a humbling reminder of you were such a blessing when I needed you so badly in my life. Um, a few days after he was born, I had an amazing dream and excuse me. I truly believe it was a dream that came from, from heaven or however that works. Um, my dad, you know, I spent many, many hours sitting in the hospital holding his hands while he was sick. Um, and it was him holding my hands, just saying, you can do anything that you put your mind to. And thank you so much for all that you did for me. And I think those words gave me a lot of, you know, it's like those little things that happen in your life, but give you such a slice of, of hope for the future and a hope for helping others. Because you hear so often people being just debilitated by losing a loved one. Actually, one of my friends posted a picture of her the other day on Facebook. I saw um, she was sharing. She had a, I can't remember exactly. It was like a sweater. It was a Christmas sweater. Oh, it was Jesus and a birthday hat. That's what it was. And it said something about don't be a negative Nancy about celebrating Christmas early. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I know Rachel and I love Christmas. I'm sure his Christmas tree is probably not maybe up or if not going up soon. Um, but all of the comments on there about like, I lost so-and-so and you guys, I am not minimizing the loss of a loved one, but this is how I see it. And I truly hope that somebody that listens to this can, can grab hope from this. When you lose a loved one, you have two choices. You have the choice to either become a victim of that loss, or you can become a victor and live every single day to your fullest because maybe they weren't able to live the life that you that you've been granted. And also live a life to, I mean, my my forever motto is to live a life to bring more people to the to the glory, to the glory of Jesus, to heaven, to all of those things. But my ultimate motto too is the more passionately and boldly I live my life with it in my faith and everything, it's my only promise to ever see my parents again. And um, you see so often of people just losing everything after they lost somebody that, that they, that they were really close with. And I just want so badly for people to understand that it doesn't have to cripple them because that person wouldn't want that to happen to them. Allow them to give them hope for the future, to be the best version of themselves. I once heard that our life here is like a speck of dust on a whole entire car compared to eternity. So when you think of it in that mindset that, yes, it stinks so badly without them here. I wish that they were here. I have all these memories of them and I wish that they were here, but I've got to make the best out of it because 
they would have wanted me to make the best out of it while I'm here. And to live, you know, as a light on this earth. And that's always with a tattoo that I have walk by faith. And then I have a light on the back of my neck to be, you know, just gentle reminders. Um, my Instagram, I, I do a lot of hair tutorials and all of that. And so my hair has kind of went crazy on the social media (laughs) webs. Um, but when I got the tattoo on the back of my neck, it was essentially to inspire others to ask questions. You know, sometimes when I'm at church, people will comment about my hair if they're behind me or anywhere in the grocery store. And they'll always ask, what does your tattoo mean? And it's one of my favorite conversation starters. Uh, same with my walk by faith. What is, you know, why did you get that? And um, I think it's just an, a gentle reminder of walking by faith is going to ultimately get you to where you want to be in life, but also do a lot of good for others. Well, I'm really glad that you did the talking uh, because I could not have squeaked out words uh, during during that story. Even though I have heard you tell that story before, um, it is so deeply, deeply emotional for me. I think because I know you so well, and you know, I mean, the very first conversation that we had, and you told me your story, I just remember crying really hard because. I'm going to go rescue that little nine-year-old girl. You know, it's like, I, um, I want to go scoop her up and, uh, and take care of her. And it is truly, um, inspirational to me to see what you have done with your life. Um, and I, I've, I have told you this before, but it, you know, there's people with <laughs> the tiniest fraction of of the things that have happened in your life, you know, and, and they've allowed one circumstance, one event, whatever, to to cripple them and keep them from fulfilling who they were meant to be, you know. And I can't even remember who said it. I mean, it was a podcast you sent me because you send me all the good ones. But it was, you know, I think it was Nona, uh, Nona Jones who said, like, God doesn't make duplicates. You know, <laughs> so many yeah. people are born an original and die a duplicate. And uh, and it's like, so, so oh, I don't even know. I don't, that wasn't the, that wasn't the quote. I love that quote, but that wasn't even the one I was thinking of. But anyway, whatever, it'll come to me. I'm... <laughs> my brain is all just wrapped up in your story right now, but it's, uh, you, there's nobody on this planet that would fault you and say, Amanda's a loser. Like she didn't do what she should have done with her life. Like there's nobody on the planet. You could have just gone and worked or been on welfare for the rest of your life and just said like, "Mm, I'm just going to let people take care of me from here on out. Like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to let other people serve me and take care of me. I've been through the ringer because you have, and not a single person on the planet could, could fault you for that. And they'd be like, you know what? It's really, it's time that we step, let us take care of you for a minute. Cause you need, you know, you need that. And you didn't, instead you decided to take your circumstances, to take your tragedy, to take the 
unfathomable events that have happened in your life. And even the things that you view as mistakes, you've decided to take those things and turn them around into a way to serve others. I mean, literally every single Wednesday night, she has three young children. I mean, Emmy is three. Brielle is how old? 10. 10. So 12, 10, and three years old. Every single Wednesday night, she we're always like audio messaging each other. And she's like, oh, okay, I'm, well, I'm heading into church. And she's like teaching Sunday school every single Wednesday night. And I'm like, let me just tell you, I am it not- the best job go- ever. I oh. mean, it's not even a job. I can't say it's that those kids have taught me more than I can ever learn from any adults. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's so true. Like they, the height, the heart that they, those children have taught me. And like, I came in kicking and screaming, you know, that I had to commit every single Wednesday. Not only did you start when I, when I signed up for this, it wasn't just one year. It's from the, when they were able to get in school and, or in, in this program in first grade, I committed until they graduated from it in fifth grade. But it's amazing because I've been allowed to move every grade with them and get to know them and help them deepen their faith. They've helped me deepen my faith and the questions that they asked and their prayer life, the way that they've grown. um, I mean, they're some of the most anointed children, anointed people that I have ever met in my whole entire life. So it has, it's amazing. But you know, you think about your cousin, Lisa, did you say? Uh, Jill. Jill, sorry, Jill. Jill, Your cousin, Jill, who like made such a huge impact on you. Your high school coach who was, had the wherewithal to recognize that you were hurting and to reach out and make that impact in your life. And like, literally that is what you are being to these children. You are embodying what they were to you you are pouring into their lives. And right now, like you don't even, you don't know, there's no way for you to know the ins and outs of everything that's going on at their, you know, in their homes and, and all that and at school and with their siblings and all the things in, in a complicated, a child's little complicated mind of trying to understand the world. Like you don't understand, you don't, you, there's no way for you to know what's going on, but you are just loving them unconditionally and you're showing up for them, you know, and you are being that person that touched you as a as a young person and as a child. And it just, it blows me away because I just don't know if, if I was put in your shoes, I don't know how I would respond, but I know I wouldn't respond as well as you. I, I, I think I would crumble and I just don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you've done it, but you have, you, in spite of everything you've been through, you have built an incredibly successful career as an entrepreneur, coaching other women, inspiring other women. You have 300,000 followers on Instagram, literally all about teaching people how to do like simple tutorials, but you work in all the life stuff and your faith and how, what God has done to, to sustain you through, through all of this. And I mean, it's, it's remarkable to see. What do you think gave you this, this fire? Like what made you 
when you look back now as an adult, you have three children of your own. Why did you respond this way? Why did you respond this way? And why did you not, why did you not start becoming an alcoholic and like on the side of the road with a needle stuck out of your arm? I'm dead serious because I think that I would do everything I could to escape. I would, I know I would. I think it was, I had such a firm foundation in my faith. Um, I started going to a church camp that I grew, I actually called it when I was younger. I always said, this is my second home. And it was, it was, you know, it was a place that I would go and I would, it was, it was a different world because Mm -hmm. everything was perfect. It was structured. Every day we praised and worshiped and people prayed for you and life was perfect. And there wasn't, there wasn't anything negative there. And I lived, excuse me, I spent probably two or three of my months growing up, you know, every summer, a couple of weeks, every winter, a weekend or two. Um, and then periodically throughout the year, I would spend time at this church camp and that had a huge, 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 huge impact on my life. But when you ask me what, and although I kind of fell back from my faith because it wasn't, it wasn't anything that maybe I didn't feel like I needed it because I wasn't living in my perfect world when I was between like 17 and 22, 23. I think a lot of kids go through that, but I think that establishing a, not just going to church, coming home and doing the Sunday thing, but establishing a relationship with the Lord and knowing that, knowing how to pray, knowing that silly requests aren't silly. He hears and sees everything, knowing scripture at a young age and just being able to hold on to all those things. Uh, A little bit ago when you were talking about being able to minister these kids. Um, God has a funny way of showing up. Not a funny way. I don't want to say it because I'm not minimizing this whatsoever. He has a very humbling way. Last year, uh, one of the third graders tragically like that lost his father, mm-hmm. nine years old, exact same place I was. His mom was the third grade teacher. Well, she was a second grade teacher. I was the third grade teacher. They were a huge part of our church or are a part of our church, but they were back to church within a couple weeks because they knew how important church community was. Um, but being able to be there with him and talk to him and, and say, Jackson, you know what, buddy, I was your age when I lost my mom. And it's so, so hard. And we don't understand why Jesus does this to us, but we know that we have to rely on him because he's the one that gives us strength and he's the one that helps us persevere. And he has all the answers. And, um, Last week, we were asking the kids what they were thankful for. And the first thing he said was church. Mm. And if I can go back to him, I would probably say my church family um, because they helped so much. So being plugged in. I know that people you know, often say, like, you don't have to go to church to have a community. Uh, my church is very, very, like, we are, we're, we're the type of church that is very, um, how do I, how do I want to say it? We're not structured whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> like there it's very contemporary, yeah. very all about relationships and, um, not traditions or structure. You know, we have that too, but I think that's so important because it gives you a way to identify with how you deal with life outside of church, mm. you know? And yeah. I think that that has been a huge, huge, huge impact growing up. Um, moving forward every single day of my life, all of that. Yeah. So how, how was 
the the birth of your your two children. I mean, obviously you had your son. I can't even imagine what the blur was. Um and what yeah, what that and was. He was like. five weeks he was five weeks early as well. Oh because of um I had high blood pressure mm-hmm. and all that when I when I had him. And so I was induced. Uh actually the day of my dad's funeral, I ended up going into the hospital in our local area, like my in my local um hospital, not the, the place that I had my son just because I was so swollen and my, my brother, who's a doctor said, you need to get checked out. He knew that I had high blood pressure just to make sure that I, they call it hyper, you know, what did they call it? Oh goodness. I can't even remember. Um, when you're getting, um, I know. proteins in your urine, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so they, I was like on the verge of it. They were like, get home. If you start getting a headache, come back in. And so that next morning at like 2 a.m., I woke up and I was kind of seeing weird visions um, just because my, my, my blood pressure was so high. And so they brought me in and that same day they, they said, you're having a baby today. Mm-hmm. And the running joke of all the nurses, because this is the same hospital my dad had just passed away in. Mm. And um, so when it was still at that time that you could go to the, to the nursery and walk mm. and look at the babies, you know, when this was 12 years ago, you mm. could still do that. You could go and walk around and look at the new babies in the nursery. And so that was the thing that when my dad was sick and he was resting, my husband and I, my boyfriend at the time, my husband now, <laughs> we would go and walk around the nursery and look at the babies and um, just, you know, it was, it was a happy place. Yeah. And so they knew me. Yeah. They knew me because I had been there. I had spent two months mm. pacing the hallways there. Mm. And they knew, obviously, I had a growing belly and asked questions. We had grew a relationship. And so when they saw me come in, they knew my dad had just passed. And actually, 23 months after Ben was born, we had our daughter, Brielle. And those same nurses still remembered me. Aww, <laughs> when I came into to birth Brielle, they yeah. were like, you're that girl that just lost your dad. And we thought you were going to like, you know, be in a very, very rough state of mind. And it was like the, I describe it as the lowest point of my life and the happiest point of my life. Grant, when losing my mom was really, really hard, but that was a long, long, long time ago. Mm. It was a different stage of my life. Um, and so that was you know, the two hardest highest and lowest mm-hmm. back to back. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you had the girls, I mean, what, and then I think just parenting in general. So it was a totally different experience having Brielle and then having Emmy. But what, how, what do you, I'm a freak as a mom. Like I am a freak of nature. I worry. I, I, I beat myself up. I am guilty because I'm constantly thinking like I'll get in bed and I'll be like, oh my gosh, usually it's the middle of the night because I'll fall right to sleep and then I'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, I don't think I listened to Grayson's whole story. Like, did he feel like I wasn't paying attention to him? You know, and I'm like so worried about how I'm failing. And I think that in life as a, as a, as a working mom running, running my own business, you run your own business. I have a lot of things that can distract me and pull me away. So it has to be a very intentional thing for me to like, hey, Rachel, shut it off, pay attention, like be in the moment with your children. And it is, it's a constant battle for me because my to-do list is, you know, a gazillion things long, just like everybody else. 
And so, but it's something that I really, really, really actively work on a lot. Um, And so you parenting now, knowing that you lost your mom at a young age and, and all of that, how has that shaped your parenting and how you look at being a mom? Do you feel like you, do you feel like you, you, you embrace each moment? Are you also human? Cause you, you know, I mean, you're pretty super human human in every single way. (laughs) I am 100% human and I have mom guilt and I have days I mess up, but you know, it comes, it's funny when you were, when you were talking about that, Pam Tebow, I don't know if you've read her book or listen to the podcast that she, I think it's just her podcast in general. She had one episode where it's things that she taught her kids growing up. And then she had like, she was like grandkids sleepover every year. Mm-hmm. And she said that every year she hears things that she taught her kids coming through in her grandkids, like little songs. She would always make Bible verses into songs and no, I am not that mother by any means, <laughs> but um, I think the best part of parenting is, especially now that my parents are gone is seeing things like that my mom did mm. that I wouldn't have expected myself to remember. Like last night, I always walk around with the dish towel over my shoulder. That was something <laughs> my mom always did growing up. Um, and so I might not be circling to exactly the question that you asked Rachel, but yes and no, I struggle with putting things away and and enjoying the moment just like you do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just human nature. Uh, I also, I think one part of me doesn't sweat the small stuff. I'm Mm -hmm. better at like brushing off the little things and not getting so anxious over some things because I, I, I can see the bigger picture of is this really going to matter a week from now? Or is this, you know, how impactful? I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy of your um, glass balls and your, and your plastic balls, no. like juggling the glass versus the, the plastic. No, you haven't. No, I haven't. So your, your glass balls, I'm not going to tell this exactly right. I can't even remember where I heard this, but your glass balls are like your family, your faith, um, your, like the things that are the most important mm. to you. The things that if you, if you drop them and they break, it's going to like, they're going to be nearly impossible to repair your plastic balls or your rubber balls, I should say, are the ones that if you drop them, they can bounce back. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to bounce back. Things are going to be okay. So just protecting those glass balls and those rubber balls and, and understanding like you not showing up or being present for something that's really, really important to your child might have a big impact mm. later on. But like the little things, uh, they were, you know, what li- what's little to me and what's little to you might be different or set to a listener on here. But I think just understanding what your glass and rubber balls are mm. uh, and, um, you know, just really embracing that and, and doing what you can do and not... Don't sweat the little things, but mm. understanding that you're human and kids are rich because they're so gracious too. Um, but they're learning from you, you know, that's one thing is that you oh, yeah. see that they are learning from you. And You know, our friend, think, our friend, John Maxwell, who we love so much yeah, always says, yes, I love him. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, he always says, uh, you're it's, it's always caught more than taught. 
your kids, it's always caught more than oh, taught. Yeah. And so I, and then sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. did you learn that? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, not sweating the small stuff is so true. And I'm always like, I'm literally always praying that I can learn that without having to have a painful experience to make me learn that. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I'm always like, God, don't we, don't, don't, don't teach me the hard way. Like I'm going to really try to, <laughs> I'm going to really try to nail this without you having to teach me the hard way. But, um, my, my husband's dad, Derek's dad, uh, has had cancer. He had stage four colon cancer metastasized to his liver. And I mean, they were like, they very grim. I can't remember the the percentage of, of survival, but it was low. He beat it. He was able to survive it. Since then, it has come back and it always comes back to his liver. So it's come back four times. So he's had cancer five times. And so in in the the years that I've been married to Derek and known him and known his dad, I mean, it's it's been multiple times. And every single time he he beats it and it's it's a it's a struggle and it's hard. But uh but we get through it and he gets through it. Bless his heart. It's hard on him. We're just here to try to support, you know. Um, but it's so fascinating. Derek, that man can get twisted up in knots over the silliest stuff. Like, and listen, it's not silly to him, right? And we were laughing about this this morning because I get twisted up in knots over things that do not even hit his radar. And so we're laughing at how different literally this morning as we're packing the kids' lunches for school, we're like, we're laughing at this exact thing. His dad, something happens and his dad's like, it's cool, man. That's like how he says it. He's always like, it's cool, man. It's cool. It's cool. Like does not hit that man's radar. He is cool as a cucumber and he's just, he's nothing faces him. He's like, I have beat cancer five times. I'm not even supposed to be here. Like we call him a cat. We're like, how many lives do you have, Dale? How many lives? You know, this is fascinating, but he, it is such a, uh, such a, a a testament to to just the fact that that analogy is is brilliant. The, so the important things are what you you have to be so careful with. They are fragile. They are breakable. Those are the things you have to protect. And the other stuff mm-hmm. that I get twisted up over, you know, in knots over. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I love that. It's going to bounce and it's going to bounce back and it's going to be fine. This is, I mean, those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to um write this in like Sharpie on my bathroom mirror. So I have to look at it every single day and remind myself, I'm just going to put glass balls, rubber balls, and I will remind yeah. myself. But Amanda, you are such a blessing in my life. And you truly, in in the time that I've known you, I, I know I, t- I text you this like on a regular basis. I'm like, she'll, she'll send me something and I'll be like, oh, well, there it is again. Like something else amazing. You know, she's just enriching my life yet again. Like I cannot believe that you're in Minnesota. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, that the internet connected us and that you have become such an important and integral part of my life, that you have grown me, stretched me, inspired me, blessed me, like beyond, 
beyond anything that I can ever say in words. And I am so grateful for your friendship and for for what you do for my heart. And I truly hope that I can give a fraction of that back to you because you have you've impacted me for life and I am so grateful for you. Your story is amazing and your your heart is amazing and I just love you. I love you too, Rachel, so much. And and everything you said, I just want to say ditto. Yep. Ditto. I love you. You mean the world to me as well. And you are always, always um, just teaching me little bits and pieces of humbling things. And, and the way that you... The way that you talk, I'm like, oh, Lord, just can I just have a little bit of that? I know you want to bless me with the way that Rachel talks. <laughs> so one day, no, I will be as fluent as Rachel. You know what I love is I'm that so excited. I love that you and I can take a topic and whatever that is that you and I can be like, oh, here's a podcast or here's a a, a business book or like whatever the topic is. And that you and I have so many similarities, but then we look at things so differently and how we both bring such different perspectives to it. And I mean, you compliment me as much as my husband does. Like as far as like, I mean, like we compliment each other in personalities, not that you tell me I'm pretty. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying like your personality compliments mine so well, you bring out the best in me, truly. You you really do. And and uh, you inspire me to push push harder every day because I don't have an excuse. I, I don't. You do, and you never stop. And I don't have an excuse. And so, man, I love you. Where can people find you, Amanda? If people are like, I want to see what this chick looks like. I want to I want to <laughs> know all the things. Uh, she's stunningly beautiful. And you just need to know that when you see her on the internet, you're going to be like, how is one person that pretty? And then you're going to say, oh, dadgummit. She's just as pretty on the inside as she is on the outside. <laughs> she might even be more beautiful on the inside. And that that's that's hard to find, my friends. So where can people find you and see your beautiful face? Oh, thank you, Rachel. I am on Instagram and um, because my last name is Fisher and I am very, very fond and, and proud of my faith. So you can find me at faithfully fish, all one word. And fish is F-I-S-C-H. So faithfully fish on Instagram. Same on TikTok. Um, I'm still learning how to, how to use TikTok. I basically just put everything over on TikTok that I make on Instagram. Yeah. And um, I do some live videos over on Facebook. Uh, just Amanda Joy Beauty over on Facebook. Oh, I don't even think I'm following you on Facebook. I never get on Facebook. I just kind of started to do more on Look Facebook because I had a lot of, of my reels that I just repurpose on Instagram or from Instagram on yeah. Facebook somehow went crazy over there. So I'm like, I've got to give these people what they want. <laughs> oh my gosh. We need to, so. yes, we need to dive deeper into this. That's, that's awesome. I'm going to ask you all sorts of questions on that. So um, I'm going to put that in the show notes as well so that you'll just have a direct link for it. And if this episode touched your heart in any way and you, you know, can think of somebody that you want to send this to, don't, don't hesitate. Send it right now while you're thinking about it. Cause listen, we are busy and in five minutes you're going to forget. So send it right now to a few people that you think that uh, this would inspire them, bless them, motivate them, whatever. And Amanda, I can't wait to see you in person soon. Come to Dallas because it's getting real cold up there in Minnesota right now. So you need to come come to Texas where it's warmer. What is it right so now? Awesome. 
balmy 23 degrees. Oh, 20, 23. Out. You know what? I mean, that is downright tropical. To come, come at me when it's negative, Amanda. That's real cold. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm in Texas. We don't get that cold. So, uh-huh. well, I love it. I love you and I will see you soon. Thank you so much, Rachel. Bye. If this episode resonated with you today, please share it with at least two people you think would love it too. Keep up with the show at The Rachel Roth Show on Instagram and TikTok and keep up with me at Rachel underscore R underscore Roth on Instagram and TikTok. Don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I know it sounds silly, but it really does make a huge difference and it allows this content to get in front of more people. I can't wait to see you again.